Seeing Beyond Risk, a podcast series from the Canadian Institute of Actuaries. I'm Chris Fivoli, Staff Actuary, Communications and Public Affairs at the CIA. Today, we are taking a bit of a detour from the normal actuarial topics, as we will be speaking to CIA member Richard Gauthier. For the past three years, Richard and his wife, Anne Graydon, have been living on their sailboat called the Two Canoes and traveling around the world. Today, Richard speaks to us just before they head off on their latest journey. Thanks very much for joining us today. You're most welcome. My pleasure. So before we get started, maybe can you give us a bit of uh, your background as an actuary? Tell us about your career and uh, where you worked over the years. Certainly, certainly. I'm a graduate from Laval. Surprise, surprise. I think I graduated in 1980, I believe. After that, I worked in a number of places. I worked in the U.S., I worked in Ontario, I worked in British Columbia. But the majority of my career, uh, after going around, landed in Toronto, where uh, I worked at, became a partner of PricewaterhouseCoopers for 25 years, just about, maybe a little bit more. And then the last three years of my career, uh, I did uh, I did some uh, work as chief risk officer for uh, TD Insurance. So, so it's kind of a, a good rounded career as far as I'm concerned. Uh, and uh, quite happy with my choice of career as I stand here today, I must admit. It's been a rewarding career and I never got bored <laughs> during that time. Stress, okay. I know it, yes, but never bored. Well, that's good. So let's talk a bit about your interest in sailing. Uh, how far back has this been a passion of yours? Oh, it's been a long time. Uh, my grandfather had a boat. My father had a boat. I have three brothers. One of them have a boat. And I have a boat. There's a picture of me when I was four year old in a car seat of, imagine a 1962 car seat at the back of my father's boat going on the St. Lawrence River. So I've been, I've been, had my feet wet for a long, long, long time. Because we were from, I'm from Trois Rivières, where on the St. Lawrence River, sailing itself, it was all power boat because there was not a lot of sailing. The, the grounds or the, the waters uh, around my hometown were not conducive to sailing uh, because of the current, the rapid flow of water on St. Lawrence. If there was no wind, you ended up in Quebec City, so you need a motor to, to stay where you are. So it was motor. And uh, my way of rebelling was to buy a sailboat as opposed to buying a power boat. I've been sailing proper since the mid-80s, roughly, for a variety of uh, occasions and a variety of boats. And it's always been the absence of a wall in front of you, the long turn, the long view, like being able to see the horizon all the time is very appealing to me, very, very peaceful. That's what I like about it. And it's, it's been like this for a long time. And it will continue like this because it, it renews itself. You get to new places, etc. And, and it's a challenge that always renew itself. So I'm, I'm, I'm quite happy. Well, that's good. Uh, obviously, you and your wife are both retired now. She used to work as a nurse. Did she always have this interest in sailing as you did? For her, sailing was a little later in life, the 90s, 2000 kind of thing. She was racing dinghies, and after that, she was racing uh, keelboats. And you know, we we met and decided to join forces in uh, in accomplishing uh, our dream of sailing full time. Uh, she's a nurse, which is very good. So if I if I get hurt on the boat, I'm I'm fine. I got someone to take care of me. If she gets hurt, she's in trouble. She better be uh, conscious to tell me what to do. So uh, you know, it's kind of a 
one-sided benefit here. So, uh, but I'm conscious of it. <laughs> I did take some first aid courses so that I can at least look like I might possibly know what I'm doing. Okay, so the big question, how did you decide to make this dream a reality? What sort of planning did you do throughout your career in order to make this happen? There's no single element. I mean, it's something I always wanted to do. I mean, something I dreamt about when I was in high school, uh, sitting on my bench, being bored by the teachers in front of me. My, I would wander and say, this is what I want to do. And uh, when I finished university, I wanted to kind of finish into kind of... Um, uh, what do you call it, a gift for finishing university, I thought, well, maybe I'll get a couple of guys together and we'll rent a sailboat and we'll go sailing in the Caribbean for a month or so. And unfortunately, I ended up being the only one wanting to do it. And then uh, as I go along, I, I, you know, the first 10 years of your career, you kind of uh, bumble around, you're focused on your exam, you don't have a lot of free time. So you focus on the immediate. So in the early 1990s, 1992, I said, well, Okay, time to uh, to be serious about what you want to do. I always I always thought that uh, a career is a mean to accomplish something. So actuarial career for me was a mean to accomplish my dreams, which that's was one of them. So in 1992, it was time to get serious about this. And you know, I said, "You're an actuary. You're an actuary in all aspect of life." Uh, so I set myself a little spreadsheet. Say, "Okay, I'm retiring at 55. How much money do I want to make every year in retirement?" How much money am I willing to spend on a boat? What's the inflation rate? What's the yield I'll get on my investment? And I never really deviated from that calculation. And for every year, I would watch myself how much money I set aside and, and making sure that, you know, I, I, that was taken care of. So it worked out. It was not 55. It was 59. The, the LAs of life are like that sometimes. So we finally could make it. I retired on uh, April 30th, 2017, and on May 16, 2017, I was taking ownership of my boat out of the factory. I had it built for me. So uh, that was, so it's not really, there was no single event that triggered that kind of thing. Those are too big, too big a dream to, to have single event. It's, they need to be planned well ahead of time. And, and they, our discipline is, is pretty good at that. Figuring out how well ahead of time and how to get there. So tell us a bit more about your boat. Uh, what kind is it? Where was it built? And uh, where was your first adventure with it? We, as I said, we took ownership on May 16, 2017, three years ago, almost to the day. It was, it was built in France. It's built in the south of France, uh, near Montpellier, uh, in particular, if you're familiar with the area, it's called La Grande Motte. It's been a a company that's been around for about 30 years got into some new management anyway the, the new management since five or six years ago we decided we we did sail uh, quite a bit of a variety of boats before that and either chartering or or chartering with captain or without captain we always keep our eyes open our ears open and what what people thought my first boat was a small catamaran hobby cat and uh, i decided that i wanted a catamaran to to um, when I was going to live on it. I also decided uh, that I'm not happy if there's another sailboat that goes faster than me. So it has, had to be a performance boat. And after putting all this together, uh, Outremer is a company that builds performance catamaran. Uh, we are uh, 51 feet long. 15.4 meters for the metric inclined. And uh, very light, it's about 10 tons. 
boats of this size are usually twice that. It's it's well put together. We've got uh, three cabins, two washrooms, two showers, laundromat, and a kitchen table, and all the all the amenities we can think of. We we live on it most of the time. We we go back to Canada every now and every quarter or so. You always have some administrative that needs to be taken care of, such as you know after all we're we are in May, income tax being one of them. Although this year it's a little different. And and that's what we uh, we did. So we we've spent uh, the first year, the first two years in the med. The med. We did uh, Spain, France, uh, Italy, Corsica, Sardinia, uh, Greece. Lovely sailing in Greece is fantastic. And uh, Tunisia. Uh, we went to Tunisia where we suffered 42 degrees of hot weather, to, to which I told myself 42 is my max. I'm, I'm not going anywhere that's more than 42. I can't take it anymore. We got out of the med in, uh, in November last year, October last year. Uh, we went to Lagos in Portugal. From there, we went to Canary Islands. And in November, end of November, beginning of December, we went from the Canary Island to Caribbean, a 17-day trip. Uh, we were five on the boat, so we can really ourselves at the, uh, at the helm. So uh, that was good. I mean, it, it's, it, it keeps your, uh, your mind sharp. We got a number of things happened to us the, uh, in those years. Uh, from Tunisia to uh, Malta, we ran across a refugee boat, you know, those little boats full of people that so the, what do you do when those people are, are waving flags trying to catch your attention so you can help them? It's always a little uh, tricky. So we had to deal with that. We had to deal with Italian Coast Guard. So we dealt with that. So we, <laughs> in Greece, we, uh, whatever, in Greece, I dislocated my shoulder. That's, you know, running a Vespa is not necessarily the most prudent things to do. But I, I did that, slid, and dislocated my shoulder. I'm bringing this, this particular aspect because uh, we're always a bit afraid of, of what happened if I get hurt outside the country. And uh, I got hurt, I dislocated my shoulder and I, and I went to the doctor and I did all this and it was you know, relatively inexpensive. I think I got out of this about 250 euros. So you know, including x-ray and sonogram and that kind of thing. So I, I thought it was okay. On the same vein in Lagos, I ended up with a heart problem that needed an, an intervention, got that there too. And so that, that was more expensive, of course, but you know, at the end of the day, the doctor fee was less than the, the return trip by Uber car. And that was a specialist cardiologist. So I, I'm kind of saying that, you know, traveling outside health is, is, can be managed. It's fine. The only black hole for health is the U.S. where you can lose your shirt if you get a hangnail. But most of the, the place we've been when we had problems, whether it's France, Greece, or Portugal, this was never an issue. Crossing the ocean was certainly a big step. Having, uh, you know, we were five on the boat and I had two brothers on it. So, you know, every time we did something, I had my mother in my head. Said, take care of your brother, Richard. Make sure everything's okay. I want to see them when we land. So I did, yeah. So it, there was a fair amount of responsibility on my shoulder. So we did, uh, we did that crossing. We saw a whale jumping out of the water. We saw dolphins. We saw, <laughs> we got accosted by a Navy ship from the American Navy, wondering what we were doing. We saw Cape Verde in the horizon, and we landed up at, uh, in St. Lucia at 4 o'clock in the morning. 4 o'clock, 4 minutes, 4 seconds, exactly. 
I was, we were happy to arrive, but it was a, a real sense of accomplishment uh, as far as I'm concerned for us anyway. Uh, and then, uh, of course, with, once we got to St. Lucia, our landing in St. Lucia, we then started going around the various Caribbean islands, Dominica, Saint Martin, uh, Virgin Islands, etc. So we've been playing in that sandbox for a while, and then all of a sudden the COVID showed up. We were in Saint Martin at the time on the Dutch side, and uh, all of a sudden all the islands around us closed. So they were not accepting any new entrants. There was no plane. They, even by boat you couldn't get there. So we basically got stuck in Saint Martin, the same place, for a month. So, you know, at the end of the day, it was not that difficult for that. It was not a difficult time for us. Uh, we were well fed, well lodged on the boat. We were in, in a, we were in a good place, but it was, it, it's always the annoying thing is the absence of freedom. You know, you always feel robbed by the absence of freedom. And the issue is, you know, usually to go between islands is a day or two or three days of sailing. So the problem is that island can be open, your destination can be open, but there's nothing that there's nothing that can guarantee you. But while you're traveling for the two or three days during those two or three days, that the island is not going to close. In which case, you end up with not being able to your destination and not being able to go back to your point of origin because they they will not take you either. So you become kind of a sea of refugees. Well, we we finally got ourselves together. We were supposed to put uh, go south to Grenada. And we can't. The island is closed, and there's no plane to get out of the island either. So we changed plan, and we we went to uh, north. So we went from the Caribbean. We took a sail from the Caribbean to uh, Norfolk here, where we where I'm talking from right now. And that's uh, you know it's kind of adapt. But on the other hand, you know we have no agenda. We have no time restraint. We have no deadlines that we have to respect or anything. So changing plan is not a big deal. So we, we do that. And uh, what's interesting is that we're here and we can't go back to Canada, even if we want to, unless we sail to there, which is a possibility. But, you know, I can't take a plane from here to go to Canada. I can take a train. Maybe I should, I should think of buying a wreck, a small, a, a very disposable car, if I can use the term, dropping it in Buffalo and walking across the border. But, you know, it's not that urgent for us to go back to Toronto. So uh, we're okay. But that pandemic is going to be with us or the echoes of it are going to be with us for years in the future. So it will be something we'll have to compose with. Uh, but that's okay. Yeah, exactly. Uh, are you heading out anywhere now? You mentioned that you're currently in Virginia. Do you have another trip planned in the near future? And, and how's the pandemic going to affect that? Well, it's interesting because every time we land somewhere with the pandemic, we kind of have to look at what the, the custom of people are. In Saint-Martin, uh, it was wear a mask, stay on your boat. Uh, you are allowed to go grocery shopping on that day. Uh, you can't go to the bank. It's a very, very, what well, we call very strict. And um, it was stricter on the French side where you couldn't even swim around your boat. But here, when uh, we went from Saint-Martin to uh, the U.S. Virgin Island, that was uh, a little bit more lax, uh, or a little bit more freedom, I would say. Groceries were open. You could go whenever you want, but you, you just have to take your precautions with a mask, etc. So that, that was easy. Now, 
when we get to Norfolk, we look around and we say, okay, half the people have masks, the other doesn't, and what's the standard here? So it's a very broad behavior, a range of behavior. So we went grocery shopping yesterday and it was mask for half the people, no mask for the other. So anyway, this being said, uh, we move on from here. We are probably going to go north, maybe up to Maine or Rhode Island because it's very nice over there. And then in October, if all goes well, uh, we're going to cross from there to uh, Bermuda. And from Bermuda, we'll go to the Bahamas for basically the winter, December, January, February. We cannot do it before that because we're not allowed to be south of Atras, north of Grenada, between the hurricane season, which is June 1st to November 30th. Somewhere around that, we're going to go home. We have a number of things that needs to be done in the Ministrivia that needs to be done in Toronto. So we'll be in Toronto for a couple of, uh, some time. But that, then after that, the third of Bahamas is Guatemala. And after Guatemala is the Panama Canal. And we keep going west until we've gone around. And once we've gone around the planet, we'll call it that project finished. We'll have to figure out what the next project will be. Okay, fantastic. Uh, let's wrap up with one final question. Do you have any tips for anybody that would like to do the same thing as you to make this dream a reality? What should they be doing? Well, you know, we're actuaries, right? So it's all about planning. The earlier you start, the less painful it is. So I started relatively early planning for this lifestyle and, and that has re been rewarded. Uh, you know, my original plan was to retire at 55 and, and do this and the stuff happened in life also, right? So uh, I ended up at 59 as opposed to 55, but the tech, it's uh, a question of uh, planning your finances accordingly. And uh, it's also, you know, if you have the time, given the fact that you have a long time horizon is to prepare yourself for it and, you know, take the courses you need to take. And I, I think the, the issue here in my mind, like the biggest jump is from a working life to a retired life. For me, you know, because I had dream of that and because I had plans for that for such a long time, when I retired and got on the boat, I never really thought about working ever again. Like it's never, I never got to a point where I say, I wish I would work or I wish I would go back to uh, the environment I was in the previous 35 years or I love the pool. I thank everybody that worked with me and over that period. But, you know, it was time after 35 years, you move on to something else. And I never regretted that decision. But I think you need to retire with a project. I mean, if you retire and you have no project, then that becomes very psychologically difficult, I think. The transition is, is uh, very, very difficult. But if you have a project that will take you, you know, it's a, it's, it's a very good way to retire. I wouldn't trade places with anybody right now <laughs> or at any point in time uh, during the past three well, maybe once once we hit the 45 knots of wind, we're alone in the middle of the ocean. But, uh, you know, that was a transitionary, it was a, a transitory time. But plan ahead, have a project, retire when you have reached your goals and move on. I think that's, uh, it works. Well, that's great. Well, we certainly wish you the best of luck with your future travels. Uh, please stay safe. And uh, thank you once again for taking the time to speak with us today. Uh, you're most welcome, and uh, thank you for calling me and uh, having given me the possibility to share my, uh, my thoughts. Thank you very much. We now have over three dozen episodes in our podcast series, so please subscribe through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, we would like to hear from you, so please send your comments, suggestions, or episode ideas 
to podcasts at cia-ica.ca. Until next time, I'm Chris Fivoli, and thank you for tuning in to Seeing Beyond Risk. 